Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today I'm joined by Dr. Marcy Kosky. And I know exactly who you are, Dr. Marcy, but for everyone that doesn't know you by chance, if you could just give us a brief introduction about who you are and what you do. You do really great work. Sure. Thank you so much, Dr. Becker. I am Dr. Marcy Kosky, and I am a feline behaviorist. I have my own feline uh, behavior consulting business called Feline Behavior Solutions. And um, I've been working with cats for a long time, and I love to help cats and their people resolve behavior issues. It's wonderful. Cats, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it often turns into the the people's behavior issues. So. It does. It does. And actually, we should yeah. touch on that because I, I agree with you. Oftentimes, we don't know that we are necessarily contributing to the stress in the home, but we're a mighty force of stress in many situations. Exactly. So, exactly. Dr. Marcy, what are some of the top issues? Um, I know that people contact you from around the world, but what are some of the top issues? This week when we're celebrating Cat Week, one of the things I feel really uh, passionately about is talking about some kitties that are struggling in the home and people that are having frustrations with uh, either how to interpret their cat's behavior or how they can help with behavior issues. What are some of the top things you consult with pet parents about when it comes to dealing with feline behavior problems? The first issue by far is litter box issues. And this is where cats are either avoiding the litter box because there's something about it they don't like, or um, they are going to the bathroom elsewhere in the home for some other reason. A lot of times it's medical, um, so we need to rule that out first. The other issue is inner cat aggression. So when cats aren't getting along in the home, it causes a lot of friction um, between everybody in the home, and it really becomes a household problem. So I try to get those cats back to being friends. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, so pertaining so. to the that first big issue, litter box issues, my goodness, that's a huge topic. Yeah, yeah. How do you go about your uh, sleuthing or diagnostic work when you're working with clients? Where do you start with that really big topic? Okay, so I have kind of a three-phase program when it comes to litter boxes. Um, the first thing I always want to do is make sure that their cat has been checked out by a veterinarian to make sure that there's no um, crystals in the urine or bladder infections or anything that could be causing pain, um, which then the cat would associate with the litter box. And then, of course, they avoid the litter box. So a veterinary checkup is always a good way to go. Um, and then I start looking at the way the litter box is set up. So um, I want to know how many litter boxes are in the home. Are the litter boxes big enough? So litter box size is a huge one. Um, and actually, it, no pun intended, but most commercial litter boxes are too small for most cats. Mm. Um, so I recommend um, like under the bed storage bins or utility containers with a U-shaped door cut out of them so that there's enough room for cats to really get in and move around. Yeah. Um, we don't want cats to feel like they're trapped in a porta potty because I don't like porta potties. Right. Um, and and so do you, apparently. do you, litter type is a huge yeah. issue too. So anything scented um, can turn cats off. Texture is a big deal, whether it clumps or not. Cats really prefer um, fine grained clumping litter I found. So uh, we look at that. And then finally, litter box placement is a biggie, biggie as well. A lot of times people will put them behind baby gates or um, 
oh gosh, put them next to washing machines that make lots of loud noises randomly, or, um, you know, put them in areas that just really aren't a part of the cat's territory. And so the cat doesn't really have any um, real desire to go and use that litter box. Um, they might feel vulnerable in the litter box. They're, they might have, you know, like anxiety about somebody ambushing them from around a blind corner nearby the litter box. So it's all a matter of looking at how that litter box or litter boxes fits into the cat's territory and making sure that they're kind of the, the Cadillac Rolls Royce version of a litter box instead of a port potty version of a litter box. And so Marcy, how do you how do you approach urinating outside the box differently than defecating or pooping outside the box? Is there do you feel that there's uh, that they mean different things or not necessarily? Um, they do mean different things. And you know, it's funny, lately I've had a rash of people come to me with cats that are just pooping outside of their box. Um, and this gets into the of what I like to look at in terms of litter box issues. And that's really looking at stressors inside the home um, and what the actions outside of the box may mean. So pooping um, occasionally can be territorial, like if it's middening. Um, but I find that most of the time, pooping solely outside of the box has a medical component to it, like either something as simple as constipation or diarrhea, because cats aren't gonna just sit on a litter box and wait like people do. Mm -hmm. um, if they're stopped up or are not stuffed up enough, they're gonna kind of go where um, they can. Okay. So uh, any loss of control can cause pooping outside of the box. Now, urinating outside of the box um, can be caused by stress. It can be caused by territory issues, um, although that's more like marking. Um, so inappropriate elimination and marking behavior are two different things, um, but it never hurts to make sure that your litter box is in tip-top shape mm -hmm. when you're addressing a marking issue. Um, but a lot of times I've found that um, cats who are urinating outside of the box are really doing it, it's almost a cry for help. And I found that um, there's a lot of insecurity in those types of cats. Um, they may be stressed about uh, another cat in the household or about the relationship they have with a person. Um, so I've always found play therapy to be super, super helpful in those cases. Mm -hmm. um, play reduces stress, and it's just so important for cats um, in the home. Um, you know, our cats are at heart. Um, basically wild, carnivorous, predatory beasties. And uh, we need to recognize that. And so when we just have our cats sitting at home, you know, doing nothing all day, um, they get bored and boredom leads to stress and stress leads, leads to behavior issues like going outside of the box. Yeah. You know, I have found that Typically, dog owners will engage with uh, play with their dogs regularly, but I agree with you that a lot of cat owners assume that kitties are sleeping, so they don't want to disrupt them, so they don't actively make time to play with their kitties. What are some tips um, that you could suggest other than, you know, some people may buy catnip toys or small balls. What are some of your favorite ways to engage cats, especially if we've got cat owners that have never really thought about playing or engaging with their kitties? What are some of the top games that you enjoy? I love this question. Okay, so um, 
so many times I go into homes and people say, my cat doesn't play. Your cat does play. <laughs> she just might not remember how because it has been so long. I drag out my toy called the bird and it's a three foot long one toy with a three foot long string and it has feathers at the end or you can change it out for like this realistic looking mouse lure. Again, it's called the bird, D-A bird. And it's simple and you can move it like a bird or a mouse depending on the lure and cats go just bonkers over it. Um, and what I really recommend is two play sessions a day, work up to 10 or 15 minutes um, per play session. Um, and you want to get your cat running and leaping and jumping. Um, you want to get your cat engaged in the prey sequence, which is staring, stalking and chasing, pouncing and grabbing, and then performing a kill bite. Um, that will tap into your cat's predatory instincts and let them feel like a cat. Mm -hmm. um, and then after a play session, so I usually do play sessions in the morning and then the evening, especially like kind of closer to bedtime, my bedtime. Um, because what you want to do is after a play session, you give them a meal. So they've had their hunt, then they've eaten, then they're going to groom, and then they're going to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So hunt, eat, groom, sleep. That's another thing that is really natural for cats to fall into. Um, Self-play toys like little balls and mice and stuff are great, but they're not going to engage a cat in all four steps of the prey sequence. So a wand toy, an interactive wand toy twice a day. And if your cat lays over after about a minute and flops down, like she's really bored, she's faking. She is faking, faking, faking. Give her about a 30 second rest and she, and just re-engage her. She has fallen back into the staring part of the prey sequence and she's trying to figure out that lure and how to get it. So don't let her fool you. She's still wanting to play. Great just give her advice. a little break and yeah. then re-engage her with that one. Great play. advice. Do you ever find that cats um, get bored of the bird? Or do you find that after, you know, that what I have found is that sometimes people say, you know, you know, I used that for a little while and then it didn't work. And I don't know if it's so much owner deciding it didn't work or kitty deciding to not engage. What are your thoughts on, I mean, do you find that some cats just need a, a whole, a, a bigger toy chest than other kitties? Yes, absolutely. I mean, younger cats, I find get bored less easily. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry, they, they, yeah, they get bored less easily. So cats are, who are young and kittenish still will just like play with almost anything. Mm -hmm. But um, older cats who have um, been around the block a little bit and know how to hunt and, and you know, play with the toys and stuff, um, they do get bored a little bit more easily. So what I recommend is having a number of different lures or wand toys in your toolbox. So there's another um, wand toy that I really like called Nico Flies. I like their lures. They're like little bugs. And there's one called the Catapede that my cats just go nuts over. Um, it's a little centipede thing with little legs. And um, then, you know, use bugs. Um, laser pointers are good for wearing cats out, but there's nothing to really bite on at the end. So they're good for exercise. I have a cat who's eight years old who still loves the laser pointer every single day. She's addicted. <laughs> um, and then also you can use uh, wand toys that are like snakes. So mm. like a long ribbon of fleece. Um, again, it's kind of like a snake. Um, but it's good to rotate toys occasionally. 
And you can always marinate the lures in catnip mm. to give them a little boost. Yeah. So, you know, along, along the question of catnip, do you, is it just hit or miss whether kitties enjoy it, don't enjoy it? Do, would you, is your general recommendation try it and see? Um, for an enrichment tool, yes. Um, so about 80% of cats are affected by catnip and about 20% are not. Um, and there are other things that can engage um, those cats not affected by catnip. So like honeysuckle spray, um, silver vine, um, valerian root are substitutes that can engage those catnip-like um, responses. But, um, you know, you shouldn't be relying on catnip for enrichment solely. Um, and you have to really watch your re your cat's reaction to catnip. Sometimes they can get aggressive, yeah. um, which you don't want. Um, so it's it's just kind of a personal preference and, in and terms if, of what if, your cat likes. If your kitty falls into the 80% that uh, is sensitive to catnip, how many times a week do you recommend? And if they, and if aggression is not an issue, can you overdo catnip? I have some clients that buy it in fifty-pound bags, and that's a lot of catnip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, what are your thoughts on balance and boundaries and in moderation? Yeah. So every, you know, like once a week, I recommend giving your cat like a catnip bonanza, so like a handful of dried catnip and throw it on the floor and let your cat roll around in it, but then vacuum it up. Um, and if you have a catnip toy here and there, that's great. But I think overdosing your cat with catnip is not good because you're constantly stimulating them yep. until they develop this kind of immunity towards it, and then it doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just yeah, yeah. So so that too much can be too much. Yeah, and what I have found in in my house is I have one cat that becomes aggressive on catnip and yeah. I have to be yeah. cautious because then he turns, he enjoys it, he loves it, but then he he intentionally seeks out his brother and, and ambushes him and his yeah. brother doesn't like that at all. So that kind of plays into um, the second issue that you're saying, I wouldn't call that aggression, but I would say that uh, Krasno, the recipient of the amped up brother, isn't interested in engaging the way that his brother wants to when he's amped up on catnip. So if you have people call and say, okay, I just brought home a brand new cat and my kitty at home is not happy about this, or, you know, sometimes there can be instant um, clashing of personalities, but sometimes aggression builds over time. Yeah. So there are so many different types of aggression that cats are, you know, cats can exhibit. Um, and a lot of times humans aren't really there to see the trigger. They just see the outcome, um, which is aggression of one cat to another. So we could be working with things like redirected aggression where a cat sees something outside, which, you know, like could be another cat. Um, and the cat has no way to express like its frustration or, you know, how, you know, <laughs> act out towards that other cat. But then Joe Schmo cat comes strolling along inside and he's like, hey, buddy. And then the cat who's all amped up goes after him. So yeah. that's redirected aggression. Um, but we might only see the cats going after each other. So um, when cats are aggressive with each other, there can be many reasons. Um, it could be an introduction that maybe didn't um, go as slowly as it needed to go. Or it could be, um, 
you know, like I said, redirected aggression. It could be um, any number of things that may have triggered an aggressive episode or relationship to begin with. Okay. And um, again, if there's a, a change all of a sudden um, that doesn't go away, sometimes I recommend, again, getting your cat checked out by a veterinarian um, because if a cat is not feeling well, that can cause grumpiness towards another cat that would usually be well-tolerated um, and agitation. Or um, sometimes an illness can cause a certain smell that another cat will react to and be like, hey, you're not the cat I know. Yep. Um, so um, a vet check is often a good idea. Uh, another thing is to just keep an eye on the cats and then really try to redirect aggressive behavior. So if you can look at the body language of your cat who is more prone to being aggressive to the other cat, um, you want to look out for things like twitching tails, direct staring, um, any kind of vocalization. And you want to um, break up that um, behavior before it escalates into actual aggression towards the other cat. And what I usually like to do is have a little um, sound, like a, a glass jar filled with dried beans. Um, so it's not loud enough to scare a cat, but it's loud enough to grab their attention. And then you redirect into another activity, like a play session. Um, so that's one way of handling it. And then the other way is simply to start building up positive associations between cats. So. Um, either having simultaneous play sessions in the same room, which is fun and everybody likes that, um, or working on a food puzzle, like two food puzzles in the same room with each other. Um, so no competition, but still doing something fun. And then, of course, rewarding cats um, for any positive interactions that they have with each other. So positive reinforcement all the way. So I'm sure that you're, you, like myself, the goal would be to, to preventively or proactively avoid having these, these tension-filled situations escalate. What are some tips if there's a single cat and if an owner's thinking about getting another kitty, is there a best way to introduce those cats in a way that would help reduce tension later on? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, the first thing is to really evaluate whether or not your cat wants a buddy. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, there is no surefire formula for that. But if you decide in the end, yes, okay, I think my cat's bored or lonely or whatever, um, you want to try to get a cat that matches your person, your, uh, your existing cat's personality on an energy level um, basis. Because if you have an older cat, um, you probably don't want to get a younger, totally rambunctious kitten to match with that older cat. That older cat's just going to be annoyed. Um, so you want to get maybe a, a mellower cat. Um, but then once you have your two cats, um, I recommend a slow introduction. So first, you're keeping the cats completely separate. Um, the new cat has a safe room all set up with everything the new cat needs. Um, and the first way you're going to introduce the cats is through smell. So you're going to be um, swapping bedding. Um, you can do sock rubs, which, you know, you um, rub the cheeks of each cat. That's where the friendly pheromones are. Um, and then swap the socks. Uh, so present the socks to the other cat, always with treats or something positive. So again, you're building up positive associations. Um, and you can let the cats swap spaces, again, putting some treats in the new areas so that they associate a good thing with the cat's scent. 
Um, and then once you've sort of started building up that positive association, then you can start working on visual introductions. And the standard way of doing this is feeding on opposite sides of a door. So getting your cat on um, meal times and then, you know, feeding on opposite sides of the door. And then you can open the door slowly um, and just a little bit at first for a very brief period of time um, so that your cats can get glimpses of each other while they're eating. And again, that's all building up positive associations. And you progress through that so that your cats can, you know, eat in plain view of each other. And when that goes well, then you start having supervised um, playtimes together using, again, two different toys on two different sides of the room. So they're not competing over the same toys. And you're also using that toy as a distraction mm -hmm. um, from the other cat. So um, there's still in the same room, enjoying something in the presence of the other cat, um, building up a good positive association with each other. And then gradually those supervised interaction times can become less and less supervised and longer and longer. Um, and again, reward the heck out of those cats for any good interactions they have with each other directly. So, um, and, and what, what would you say? Slow is introductions can yeah. take as quick as just a couple of days. Yeah or they can take weeks, sometimes even months. Some cats are highly cat reactive um, and you may have cats that, you know, can peacefully coexist, um, if not be friends. My question, uh, which actually you partially answered, but my, uh, I'll, let, let me just rephrase it. So if you have a kitty that's a, that is a single kitty in a home, you decide, let's say a midlife kitty, eight or nine, decide to bring in a second cat, it may take months for a positive, slow, and peaceful introduction. And, yeah. and I'm sure that your suggestion is take as long as you need for the cats to feel comfortable being introduced. Right, right. So and, you never want to move faster than the pace of your slowest cat. Okay. Um, so what I like is, you know, some people say, oh, my cats didn't have any reaction to the socks and the treats and no reaction. I'm like, hey, that's good. They may, they may be okay with your other cat scent. Now that we want to, we want to stay on that just a little bit longer so that we can really build up that positive association. You certainly don't want to move to the next step or move further along in that step. Like I said, opening the door wider. If your cats are growling and hissing at mm -hmm. each other, mm -hmm. you need to take it a step back and um, slow it down. So no growling or hissing before moving on. Um, a lot of people kind of rush that part. Like, oh yeah, we, we, you know, we just did this until they stopped growling or hissing. Like, no, no, no. If they're growling or hissing, you take it back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to work on building up that positive association some more. Um, and to me, in the end, it's worth it. You take the time and it takes a lot of patience. I get that. It's hard when you have to keep cats separated. Um, but in the end, patients really can pay off. So keep at it. My question, Dr. Marcy, is how much do you think it is more, I don't want to say user error, but how much, how much do humans contribute to cats having an intensified stress-based reaction because we're not reading them appropriately or we're not sensitive to what's going on. How do you think that humans are contributing to owners are contributing to some of these behavior problems by not recognizing kind of the full scope of what's going on? 
you know, cats are reacting to what's in their environment and what they're being given in their environment. So usually, no matter what behavior issue you're facing, um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, humans are solely to blame, but cats are responding to what they've been given. And I think it's a matter of educating people um, about cats' needs. And, you know, if a cat is demonstrating something like scratching furniture, your cat needs to scratch something. Um, and what are they scratching? The furniture, because it's the best thing in their environment to scratch. So how can we change that to let them exhibit that scratching behavior, but just redirect that to an appropriate item to scratch? It's kind of the same thing with almost anything in the cat's environment, whether it's peeing in the litter box or not peeing in the litter box. Um, you know, it's, I think it's just a matter of educating humans about cats' needs yeah. as wild carnivorous predators. Yep. And uh, we've taken them outside and put them in our homes. And how do we recreate what they need in our homes? Right. And I think all of us, of course, are making uh, an attempt at trying to recreate. But I do think that oftentimes we uh, unintentionally fail those little wild creatures that we're in essence holding captive in our homes. We think that we're providing everything that, that, that they need, but maybe not necessarily so. So exactly. I'm so thankful that there are people like you that have dedicated their careers and their lives to helping people have better, safer, healthier, more emotionally satisfying interactions with the cats that they're caring for. I, yeah. I'm so thankful. And really, um, in essence, what I'm hoping this interview provided to readers and listeners is that if you are having a cat with a behavior problem or an issue, um, of, discuss it with your veterinarian, of course, and make sure that there's not a medical issue. But beyond that, contacting someone like Dr. Mar Marcy and being able to work out your specific issues with a trained professional can be the difference between a very satisfying, gratifying relationship with the cat or an entirely frustrating situation that can escalate to the point that neither the cat nor yourself are happy. So I think making, utilizing resources like Dr. Marcy's uh, services that she offers are, are just invaluable for, the, for people, for those of us that have cats with issues. So I appreciate all of your hard work and making felines happier and healthier living in the homes with us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure.